Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. This is your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined as always by my sister, cousin, friend, Attorney Sonia Madison. How are you doing? I am better now. What? <laughs> you must have had a good week just pouring not out really. lessons and accolades on down, huh? <laughs> I, I had nothing else better to say, I guess. Well, when the truth is all you got, stand on it. Yeah, you are my cousin. You are my... <laughs> that was the only truthful thing I really said. You are my cousin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we missed last week, but uh, man, I enjoyed the feminine reunion. I did, too. I did too. I mean, it's as I'm sure we'll share um, next weekend, but it, it's something about being around like minded people that all have an interest in love and fellowship and, and then talking about our ancestry, talking about our collective history and, and just leaving with an inspiration to continue the legacy. So it was good. I have to tell you, I was a little concerned about going at first. Okay, we're doing a reunion in Uniontown, Alabama. What is there to do in Uniontown, Alabama? So it's just west of Selma. So which was part of the the uh, intrigue, I guess, in in Marion and Selma. So learned so much. Never would have thought that I would have learned so much at a family reunion, but it was tremendous. And we are working on a treat for you, our viewing and listening our audience. Next week, we've got the documentary of it. You don't want to miss it because it's going to be, I think, phenomenal. Well, and, and I, as people, as we often talk about history, I think it's so important that, you know, particularly family reunions um, are, are consistent in the Black community for years and years. It, sometimes you have to remember why you have them. And so I would encourage other people that I know it's kind of late now, but why, would, why do you have them? <laughs> why do you have them? Sometimes you have, I'm not sure how to take that science. Sometimes you got to remember, why do I want to get around these remember. people? Sometimes you have to remember, um, especially, you know, if you live among family, you kind of take, you know, take advantage mm-hmm. or don't realize the best thing it is to have that family. Cause you probably <laughs> get tired of them overstepping their boundaries. But but I would encourage other people who have family reunions to do more documenting, do more exploration so that those stories can get passed down, which we see in the Bible, just seeing how the story of the Old Testament, it's stories that have been passed down until centuries later, someone put it on paper. Yeah, but it's, you know, so much gets lost when we don't communicate. And I think um, one of the things that one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when uh, the children of Israel crossed over Jordan. And God told him, once you got over to the other side, he said, send 12 prepared men back to the other side, into the water to get stones. And he said, the reason why we want you to get these stones is to make a memorial so that when your children come for generations to come, when they come and see these stones, they say, what do you mean? What does these this monument mean? And he said, then you'll be able to tell them the story of all the way that the, your Lord, your God, the Lord, your God has brought you. And I think that's very important. I I look at those stones, I call them testimonies. And a lot of times we don't really share the testimony. Bible tells us that we've over, that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they were not ashamed unto death. And I think what happens, what keeps us from sharing our testimony, sharing our stories that can help future generations overcome is that we sometimes are too prideful, sometimes too shamed, ashamed of our past to be able to share something that can be liberating and life-giving to our generations to come. One other final point I'll make about that uh, passage of scripture. He told him two things. He said, take two, pre-, he said, send prepared men. Now, I, I think it's some importance in that because if you're not prepared you go back into the water, then you wind up getting drowned. What am I saying? I'm saying that 
every testimony is not a testimony. Sometimes it's a confession. If you haven't been fully delivered from it, it's not a testimony. That's a confession. So make sure you're delivered from it before you call it a testimony. But once you've been delivered from it, you have no shame. You have no guilt, no condemnation uh, from what was delivered and what you went through in the past. The second part that I think that is important to note about that, he told him, he said, when you come out, put the stones on your shoulder. And I thought it was curious that he told him, put it on the shoulder. The reason why is because when you see my face, you also see my testimony. I'm not trying to hide it behind my back. I'm not trying to put it someplace else and have somebody else carry it. I'm associating this thing that I've been through. When you see me, you see what I've been through. And I don't think that we need to hide those types of things. I think we need to share those things because they can then be empowering to the future generations to be able to overcome many of the obstacles. I was in, I was totally inspired last week when I looked at the humble beginnings from which our parents came. Yes. Well, good. And hopefully we can inspire again, even more people when we're able to air it next weekend. And and speaking of needing deliverance and needing to probably go back to their history, to the Republican Party. <laughs> you know? They try to go back to their history. What you talking about? Well, uh, they didn't go back far enough. <laughs> they're, saying, they're saying make America great. That's what they want to do. They want to make it a great again for them. And so that's what they're, they're determined to make sure that it happens. And so, well, and, and, and like we said, we were inspired by not only what our parents went through, but the core values that we want to ensure continue to get passed down. And that's what I mean by this Republican Party. At some point, it's going to be a question of, hey, are we still standing on our core values or are we standing more so on the messenger? Um, as we see this past week, uh, they've we've got some federal indictments coming down. <laughs> we've got the federal uh, the Department of Justice has officially said we are going to indict Trump on conspiring to overturn the 2020 election results. 45 pages of beautiful information. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful for who? Beautiful. beautiful. It, it was like artwork. I mean, when we talk about <laughs> whether there are expressions in this art forms and whether we can then you know, tell people that they can't express certain things. This is what we're talking about. <laughs> the, mm. the 45 pages themselves was, was an art. But part of that art is, again, the way they laid out, these are the facts that we have. Here are, they didn't even list the name of co-conspirators, but if you read it, you know who the co-conspirators are. You don't even need the names. <laughs> I mean, and then when you hear what the defense is saying, and then by the defense, I mean people in the Republican Party, is saying, and for the most part, they're saying, oh, this is a free speech. Oh, no, no, no. That's why this is artwork. You need to read the art. <laughs> this is not about free speech. <laughs> oh, they've got their own artwork, though. They've got their own, they're presenting their own art to the audience that matters to them is the public. It is public opinion, the court of public opinion. They could care less about what judges are saying, because what will happen is that, um, when if the judges rule coming uh, against their favor, then it doesn't matter. They can seize by power those things that are seized by uh, might, the things that they can't get through justice. Well, and just so our viewers know, again, it's a 45 page indictment. And some of the um, information that has been included is they talked about how Trump admitted or purposely walked in and went to people and said, hey, I need you to understand that Mike Pence has the power to set aside the electoral college votes and stay this election. Now, again, if we're talking about free speech, we he can say all day long the election was rigged and fraud. But when you start putting steps in place to actually overthrow or conspire to do some type of criminal activity, and that was a step, talking to people to get them to either convince Mike Pence to do this or Again, having people, the public, hear all these and see, hey, this is Mike Pence can do this. So go after Mike Pence. You're taking steps. <laughs> You're taking steps. I, well, I think the most condemning <laughs> steps that I think the most condemning steps is actually assembling some of the uh, fake electors and, yeah. you know, trying yeah. to conceal some of that stuff as well. So <laughs> that's probably really pretty damning. The mere fact that you have been putting together 
in multiple states in very targeted ways. And even before, I think a lot of this was even planned before. You know, I think he may have some evidence that says that even before the election was uh, went forward, there had been plans to say, okay, if we start losing, or if it appears that we're going to lose, these are the things that we're going to do. I think it was um, one of his advisors told him, just go out and declare that you're the winner tonight. You know, just do it, you know, just do it. And and that'll help set things into motion. And I think another one of them might have said, you know, there were times in this country where violence was necessary when they were talking about the potential harmful consequences of them spreading these lies. And they said there were times in this country where violence was necessary. And that's what they were looking for. And I think that's what they're still looking for. And I don't think that they're afraid of it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the military who actually support them and have this type of uh, mentality and would be ready for a mutiny should it ever be necessary. And, and again, if you want to support the idea that the election was rigged or fraud or whatever, by all means, support that, run with it as much as you want to. But when you start taking steps to either convince someone to illegitimize votes or to send the question to the state to that you know were legitimately correct in their assessment of the votes, then that was when you take it too far. And that's why I wanna make sure that when you read the indictment, it's pretty clear. And he does spell out, this being Jack Smith, does spell out that this is not about his ability to go and say that this election was a fraud. And I know a lot of people have been saying, oh, Stacey Abrams said the same thing. She needs to be indicted too. No, 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 it's not about you stating a belief that this was fraud is about what steps you took to try to overturn, overthrow an election, which resulted in, again, criminal activity. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a legal point that most, <laughs> okay. that most no, people don't care about. <laughs> it's, it's, it's truly a legal point that most people don't care about. And what I'm saying, most people... Most people, like including myself, we look at some things that's established by the law and we say it just doesn't make sense. And it just doesn't jive within us that I mean, there have been so many things that that I've been involved legal, um, legal entanglements that I've been involved with. And that the way that the judge ruled and the, the decisions that they made, I'm like, I hear what you're saying, but that's not right. And so you can't really call it justice if it's if it follows the law and there is permissible within the law, but it's just not right and it doesn't sit with you. You're still not satisfied with it. So to some extent, I can understand why many so many people in the Republican Party, I think 70 percent still feel like Joe Biden is not the legitimately elected president. Seventy wow, percent. I didn't yes. think it was that high. Okay. Yes, it's somewhere between sixty <laughs> and seventy percent. So it's almost seventy percent, I think, and and that's concerning when you start thinking about seventy percent of half of the country. You know, but maybe not half of the country. I take that about twenty five percent of the country are identify as Republicans because we know probably half doesn't vote. <laughs> right. <laughs> But that's that's a concern when they say it just doesn't feel right. And the and the Republican Party, the the, the leaders of the Republican Party, uh, Kevin McCarthy, he uh, was very, very, very uh, vehement in his uh, rebuke of the indictment. And, you know, he pointed out things like Hillary Clinton objected to the election. Al Gore eject, objected to the election. Even George W. Bush or whatever, you know, some other people, they said throughout history, recent history, the past 20 years, just about every election had been contested and they had the loser had been questioning whether or not there had been legitimacy to that election, whether it was rigged or whether it was fair. And he said in each of those situations, nobody, neither one of them have had an indictment brought against them. And and I understand the argument that you're going to make in retaliation to this, and I agree with it. But what's happening is they're speaking to uh, the visceral, to the gut of people who are vehement, who vehemently believe that this country is going to hell in a handbasket because Democrats are taking it there. And so he's speaking to those things. And then all they're doing is reinforcing the suspicion that these people have that the justice system, we have a two-tiered justice system, one that favors liberalism and, and despises and antagonizes conservatism. 
Well, and that's part of what our discussions today is, okay, where do we draw the line? What is What has become the new point? Because when we talk typically about political parties, we're looking at Republicans as very small government, and we're looking at Democrats as very big government. And when you think about the context of that, you're when we say small government, what they're saying is, hey, let the states do what they want, which is a lot of some of their support of abortion. It's like, well, let the states figure it out, and, and we shouldn't have federal um, law entangled in that. And bigger government, but they say Democrats do is they say, oh, no, let federal government handle all this kind of stuff. And we just make sure that the states stick with the criminal stuff or something that's a little bit more local and specific to their territory. And so now we're here at a point where it's, it's like, OK, Republicans, where are you going from here? And I do appreciate Mike Pence coming out and saying, <clears throat> hey, this was what this was wrong. And I'm putting the blame on Trump's attorneys. I mean, he deflected putting the blame on Trump, but I think there was acknowledgement there that what Trump did was wrong, but he did it because he was listening to his attorneys and his attorneys put him in the wrong direction. But nonetheless, there is an admission there that what he did was wrong. And so I can appreciate that. And then you have Trump's own attorney. I don't know if you heard about this, but Trump's own attorney goes to Fox News and admits that Trump voice support for Mike Pence to refuse to certify the electoral college votes and to send it back to the states. So then you admitted that you took some steps <laughs> to engage or to conspire against criminal activity. And so I, I do see some Republicans coming out. And, and Nikki Haley was, was essentially like, hey, I don't understand why we keep talking about the guy. <laughs> so she just is like, hey, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't, I, I, hopefully the country doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Let the let the judiciary do what you, the judiciary does. And I just want to focus on my campaign. So I think some of the Republicans are taking that step out, but ultimately I'm like, what's the goal now? What is the goal? It's still opportunistic. It's still opportunistic. <laughs> right. they're, they're looking, especially Mike Pence. Mike Pence came out with some of his strongest words. Now he's got no new information. He had all the same information before. He knew already just how, you know, corrupt and, and how much Donald Trump had his fingers in doing something that was illegal. And he was still tight-lipped about criticizing and you can probably say, you know, I didn't want to, and he hasn't said this yet, but he'll probably come out and say, well, I didn't want to interrupt anything that the Department of Justice was doing. I felt it was best to just stay out of it because I don't like politicizing the Justice Department. He can come out clean and sharp like that, smelling like candy. Yes. Uh, even in that, he has to acknowledge that they have talked to him and he's part of pretty much their evidence. Yeah, the uh, question is, is whether he'll testify when it comes up or <laughs> if. And that's when we know whether the law fits for one or for all, because you get that subpoena. I don't, I'm not sure you're supposed to have a choice, right? Yeah, but for so long, he's been saying, you know, I don't think that he should be prosecuted. I just think that that's bad for the country. Well, it's bad for the country to act. So what you were doing is promoting a two-tiered justice system to say that, yeah, there are some people that are above the law. And Donald Trump is one of them, at least. Uh, if there is anybody else who's above the law and it has to be just Donald Trump or is it just Donald Trump who's above it? Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, Republican candidate. Now, he's been probably one of the most forceful ones to come out and say, hey, you know, if he's if before the trial, before all the evidence is even presented now, other than the only evidence that is presented right now is the indictment. And yet he is saying some. I would, you know, carte blanche, give him a pardon because I don't believe that this should this should happen. And I get that you think that the uh, arrest and the in, in, not indictment and especially the conviction and incarceration of Donald Trump will cause some civil unrest. But to carte blanche say that you would you know, you would pardon him and that you'd expunge his, his record, expunge all of these things. That's a problem. You haven't yeah. even seen the evidence. You haven't had a chance for the evidence to be presented. So you're saying that you don't really believe in the rule of law because when well, it, when it, when it disfavors you. To some degree, if you give someone a pardon, there's still that admission acknowledgement that a crime has been committed. So to me, even in that, you're saying, oh, he committed this crime. I'm just giving him a part in whatever political thing you want to do. But even in that, he has to admit that he committed a crime, you know, <laughs> to get the pardon. 
Um, and so, like you said, I mean, to me, there is an acknowledgement that, yes, under the law, there is a violation here. I just want to use my administrative abilities or my executive abilities <laughs> to, to pardon him so that he doesn't have to suffer through whatever punishment is applicable for the crime. But I, you, I don't want to underestimate the importance and the value of the Republicans um, and the impact of the Republican strategy right now, because they're pointing very legitimately to several other incidents, incidences That's where Democrats- to make sure you use the word legitimately correctly. So you just want to make well, sure you well, use the they word- are, They are legitimately saying that other people have contested and have been publicly speaking about uh, contesting prior elections. That's what they have been doing. The other part about the conduct afterwards, they're leaving out. <laughs> but, you know, that's a nuance that you as an attorney or or somebody else who's a Democrat and who understands and is willing to hear the whole story, that's a nuance that they'd be, they'd be willing to accept and to embrace. But their leaders aren't projecting that. The leaders are simply saying, hey, look, this person, this person, this person, this person, all Democrats have done the exact same thing that Donald Trump has done. And guess what? They didn't get indictment. That's the story that those people are hearing. That's the story that people who only listen to conservative news outlets are hearing. Now, some of us are screaming to the other side that, yeah, but it goes beyond that. It goes to conduct and that he's now taking steps to actual steps to uh, to to commit the fraud as opposed to, you know, just using the political speech. And, you know, they're not hearing that thing. And so I'm concerned that that is the indoctrination that they're having. And, and it's just feeding their narrative that the Democrats are just rogue and are out of control. And, well, and that's why strong. I say the Republican Party, to your point, the Republican Party needs to identify leaders. Because like I said, if, if the leaders are supposed to be your Mike Pence, or people who are actually running for that presidential um, position, which again, I talked to you about what Nikki Haley's saying. We already know what Chris Christie is out there doing. I, I mean, and even Ron DeSantis is now deflecting. I mean, he's not, she's trying to stay away from touching. They're not saying, those leaders are not saying, oh, what um, Trump did is the equivalency to what Democrats have done in the past. Those leaders are saying, hey, you know, I hate that he's being indicted. I don't want him to be indicted, but they're not saying he didn't do anything wrong. They're acknowledging yeah. that there is an issue here. <laughs> I mean, but they're not saying that he uh, unequivocally didn't do anything wrong. And they're not making comparisons. I'm not hearing them make those comparisons. But like you said, if you get on these certain conservative radio stations where they are blooming out this false information, then the Republican Party needs to identify who are our leaders and do we want to follow those leaders? Yeah. They, uh, I, I will take issue just with one thing you said, that the Republican Party needs to identify their leaders. They have identified their leaders. These are the people who they want leading them. And Dude, that's why they, Trump, that's what I'm like, other than Trump, who, who are these leaders? Because I'm like, Kevin, Kevin I, I McCarthy? Mean, maybe not for me to know, but even Kevin, Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy. Even yeah. Kevin McCarthy. How many times did it take for him to become speaker? So I don't even think he's a leader. <laughs> <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bobart, you name it. Uh, you know, what's the guy's name? You, you name it. The entire House and Senate of Republicans who, who are vocal right now. They've identified those people are the ones as the ones who are going to be their voice in Congress. And that's the reason why those Republicans are saying and reiterating the thing that they say, because that's what their base wants them to do. And we found out that uh, with the impeachment, the second impeachment, that those Republicans who don't fall in line with that will be out of a job. And they will go on as Adam Kinzinger and, 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 and Liz Cheney. And that's why I say, who are your leaders? Because again, um, that's his name. Who who was it ran against um, Obama the second time? I mean, uh, he's Mitt Romney. He's in there, and he's not ascribing to this. I mean, so you do have Republicans who are in leadership positions that are saying, "No, nah, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not going along with this lie." And so that's why I'm like, okay, well, who who are? Because Paul Ryan was there, he's out. And to your point, those that were in there, yes, they were removed. But then I'm taking that that means either they were no longer the leaders, which to me could still be applicable tonight today, or they said, no, there's a line that's been crossed and I'm no longer willing to stand behind this party because that party is still going to direction over the line. 
Yeah, those people who are vocal about uh, being wrong come from swing districts, typically, in general. The <laughs> ones who have to walk that tight line, that tight rope, say, I can't be too supportive of Trump because then I lose some of my independent voters in my district. If I if I'm too if I'm too harsh of Trump, then or too critical of him, then I lose some of my conservative base and I need to have both of them. So they walk on a tight, tight line and they're keeping a tight lip because of it. But those people, the, the Republican Party has clearly the base of the Republican Party has clearly identified who they want to be their leaders. And these are the people who are saying the nonsensical stuff and supporting Donald Trump carte blanche. And <laughs> that is of grave concern to me. I, I, I think if ever there were a time for a third party to break out, this would be the opportunity to for it. And uh, Cornell West has now thrown his hat in there in the race, you know, possibly as an independent candidate. And so we'll see, you know, there has never been a more ripe season for it. Here's the uh, thing that really struck me. I heard a statistic earlier this week, and they were saying that 20% of Republicans or so, 20 or so percent of Republicans who were polled said that even if Trump were convicted and incarcerated, they would still vote for him. And there was another 28% who said they didn't know. So you're telling me that almost 50% of the Republican base of those people who were polled, 48% of them, well, either one don't know that if you would vote for an incarcerated and convicted presidential candidate, or you would. That's just, I mean, where's the other half? Only half of them would even say, no, I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't. But that was... <laughs> <laughs> that well, blew my mind. I was like, wow. Well, here's a, listen, I get the idea that, hey, I don't trust government. So I feel like whatever Trump is doing, the rest are doing, he's just open about it. And so at least I know, hey, I know you're a scumbag, but there is some comfort in knowing that I know you're a scumbag versus the devil, you know, ones are <laughs> right. So I understand there is a distrust there in general. But again, back to this question. OK, but where is the line? Like even in that, I'd imagine there's still got to be a line that you say, but he can't do this. And that's where I'm like, I don't know if there is a line. And so then in that standpoint, I'm like, this isn't about the politics. Then this just must be about the man himself. And I just don't get what what do people just see when they see him? Is it just the opportunity that even though I'll never inherit 11 million, but the idea that if I do, I can get away with whatever I want? Or I was like, what is the draw? <laughs> I don't know that it I don't know that it's so much the man, but I did see a nice little cartoon meme or something like that. It was Trump nailing himself to a cross. <laughs> nailing himself to a cross now. And it says something, you know, I'm my I'm I'm being indicted for you. <laughs> you know, I'm being indicted for you or something. Basically, I'm being persecuted for you, for your sake. Yeah. And I'm like, come on now, really? And and the, the irony of it was that he's driving the stakes in his own hand, which is the, which is exactly what's happening, is he's created these problems himself. It was not that anybody had targeted him. It was not that um well, I mean, yeah, I mean, but basically, you you challenge wrong, you become people. a target. I, I mean, I, let's be clear: you do something wrong, you're going to become a target. So, yes, you are targeted as and you challenge and you <laughs> challenge their people to do something about it, and that's what you keep doing. Oh, again, even after the indictment, he goes on and he starts attacking the judges and and attacking the system as opposed to just being quiet and letting it all work out. And it's like, I'm just going to let you do this. No. But what he's doing is he's he's making it such that people will say, we cannot ignore the things that he's doing, because if we do ignore the things that he's doing, we empower him even more because we say that he is above the law. You know, he's like, I could go on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and dare you to arrest me. And that's basically uh, how he has basically been emboldened. Uh, but I don't know that it's so much that it's just him. I do think that it's transcended beyond just him and into the politics because he has um, so reiterated and, and ingrained in their minds and into their psyche that the system is so corrupt 
And unless there is somebody of his ilk who will come in and uproot all of the corruption, then we're going to hell in a handbasket. I was listening to um, um, Bill Barr. I think it was Bill Barr. Bill Barr and several other people, Asa Hutchinson probably, or somebody else had uh, made some comment that said that, you know, as much as they, they really despise Donald Trump, and they think that he is unfit to be office. Bill Barr said he's unfit to hold the office of presidency. And then they asked him and said, but if if he's the Republican nominee, would you vote for him? And, you know, he did not dis, uh, he didn't refute the notion that he would vote for him. And the other person, I can't remember who it was. Not, oh, no, it was the um, the Secretary of State uh, and was it Ben Rafflinsberger uh, and uh, or somebody from or the lieutenant governor, Georgia. somebody from Georgia, say, somebody from Georgia. Georgia. I know Georgia. I know Ben has said that here. So, yeah. And then he said, you know, yes, I would still vote for Donald Trump as much as I think that he is guilty or, you know, have is unfit for the office. I would still vote for him and that he's harmful to democracy. I would still vote for him. And that. I don't think that that's directed toward idolism, I, I, idolatry of uh, of Donald Trump. I think it's that they're now so tribal in their mentality that they say we have to have our party in charge at all costs, and that's when I think tribalism goes awry. When you start saying, you know, when you start saying we have to be in control. My group, my my tribe has to be the one that has the power, regardless of who's wielding that power, as long as we as a group have it. And that's dangerous to me, I think. Well, and that's why I'm like, is it too late? Because again, to that point, to say I we have to have our, our party in power, is your party in power? Because your party isn't controlling this man. And you are admitting this this man is going well against the law and which, again, as we talked about, if it is your core, because that was a whole blue lives matter, right? If it is your core that the law is enforced and you put someone in here who not only is doing whatever he wants to, but has even turned on the whole blue, blue lives matter. Because when it came to the Capitol and, and everything that happened in January 6th, it became a, hey, man, let's defund the FBI. So now you no longer care about law and enforcement. So then you're not even in control when you're putting this person in power. At what point do you say enough? I'm going to have to either, I mean, I, really, I want you to say I got to go for the other guy, but at least say, okay, I, I can't, I can't ride. I can't support this guy. I can't even go to the voting booth and in good conscience hit Donald Trump. We, how do we get them there so that they don't do that? <laughs> but, but wouldn't you just love to have that kind of loyalty? I mean, you talk about ride <laughs> no, or die. These people are ride or important. die. I think accountability is important. I mean, I think that like the, the whole beauty of marriage is that you really get to see who you are and you really get to better understand. I know I'm speaking to someone who's not married, but that's what I hear. Mar <laughs> marriage reveals who you are. And so in that context, that means, hey, once you see that reflection, you've got to be held accountable for this unless you decide you like the reflection that you see. So oh, I think I think there's every part of us wants somebody who's going to love us and support us in spite of the evil, in spite of the ugly that they see. And I I, I was started writing this book, Loving the Ugly Sister, based off of the, uh, the the dialogue or the interaction between Rachel, Leah, and Jacob in the Bible. You know where J where Jacob thought that he was getting to marry Rachel. He worked seven years to get Rachel, and then on the night of his wedding, the day after his wedding night, he woke up next to Leah, the ugly sister. You know. Oh, again. Use that the word. Bible calls, I, I Bible call her ugly. Her ugly. <laughs> the Bible call her tenderized. So, you know, she was ugly. So don't get wrong. <laughs> but, God but did for not the, make ugly. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the purpose of making the point, I will just, you know, call her the ugly sister. <laughs> and, and, and we... <laughs> <laughs> but we all but we all get to the point where we have some ugliness in us that is not revealed at the beginning 
of the relationship. And then at some point in the relationship, that ugliness becomes perceivable and detectable. Don't we all want somebody to love us even in our ugliness? Leah was tortured because of that. She was saying, you know, my husband, he does not love me. And for whatever, I'm not the one that he wants. It's it's all this, and she, her life was misery. So she kept bearing children for him and said, now maybe my husband will love me. And he still didn't love him. And God saw, love her. God saw her anguish and God is the base of her anguish. He gave her the ones that have children and shut up the womb of, of Rachel and, you know, child after child after child. She thought there's so many things that I could do to hopefully make my husband love me. She lived a miserable existence. Why? Because all she wanted was the love and the support, the loyalty of her husband. And, you know, I think so many of us get into that situation and say, I want you to love me even when you see the ugly in me. I don't want you to abandon me. I don't want you to to talk about me, disparage me when you see the ugliness, because that's one of the reasons why we don't let people see the ugliness in us, because we think that it will drive them away. But when we learn to love the ugly, I think it's a beautiful thing, but at some <laughs> point, <laughs> you got to tell them, listen, wait a minute, you need to go brush your teeth, baby. I was going to say, you also want to be able to say, hey, this bothers me. And that person takes that into account and shifts and changes. You want that too. You want to be able to hold each other accountable in that realm. And if, if we're in a relationship and I tell you, Mark, hey, it bothers me when you don't include me on decisions that you make with your job and you continue to do that. I mean, it's, it's don't don't you need to have well, empathy? So because that's what you want too. You you want if you say something bothers me, if you say Sonia bothers me that you don't brush your teeth, I mean, are you gonna be hurt if I continue not brushing my teeth, right? <laughs> well, so 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 the the point of view that you took was really looking at the other person receiving the criticism. But as opposed to saying, I'm inviting the criticism, I'm inviting the critique onto myself. So you said, if you tell me my breath's sinking, sign you need to go brush your teeth, then, you know, that's what you're going to want to do. But but rather than saying, you know, hey, I want you to tell me if my breath is stinking. I want you to tell me if my armpits are musty or something like that. I want you to tell me those things. And most of us don't actively want that type of criticism. No, what you're mistaken want. what I'm saying. You're mistaken what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I want to be able to say it. I'm saying, though, if I say it, I want you to take some inventory of it because I don't think anyone wants to just go criticizing their spouse up and right. But at the same time, they both parties understand that, hey, we're, we're imperfect people. And so if we want this thing to work at some point, if it's something that is bothering you, because I don't think you need to bring out everything. Not everything is, is a battle that needs to be fought. But if it is something that is not only bothering, but it's a hindrance of the goals of your family, then yes, I think people want to be with someone that is going to point that out so that we are not leading our family to a dirt world with nowhere to go. <laughs> people, people want to be with somebody who will point that out, but people don't want to hear it when it's pointed out. That's the that's the that's the distinction that I'm trying to make is that, yes, you will point it out and you expect somebody you probably give them permission to point it out. But the reality of it is, is when you hear it, it still hurts. And you really still on some level want people to just be with you. And, and the reason why it hurts is, is I don't know why it hurts. Why does it hurt? Maybe it's because you feel like, you know, that this person doesn't view you as that, that, a goddess. Problem. And I think that's the problem. If, if it hurts because you're saying, oh, you just want to point out my imperfections or, oh, you're reminding me of this thorn that I can't get rid of. OK, that's one thing. Um, but if you're saying, oh, it hurts because it's going to force me to be better. What, am I, what what is that person supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know? As, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know then where you go from there. I, I just think that it's, um, I think that it's important. If you, if you're in my tribe, not only do I have an expectation uh, or desire for you to, to give me the criticism, I'm expecting you to give me that type of criticism. And when you don't give me that type of criticism, I want to hold you accountable for not holding me accountable. Exactly. I mean, that's nobody does that, but but a lot of times we want to skate by. We're like, cool. 
there is no love. You, you can't love someone if you can't be that honest with them. And if we truly are saying we want to be in loving relationships, then that means I want to be in a relationship where the other person wants me to be better. Mm. So Republicans, <laughs> mm. you want him to be better? Or you, <laughs> be, but, but just you think about it. Wouldn't it stage? just be hey. nice? Wouldn't it just be nice to know that somebody loves you unconditionally, no matter how much foolish stuff you do? And that's the thing, like, how are we defining love? Because, yes, I can love you unconditionally, but that doesn't mean I'm going to tolerate inappropriate behavior. I mean, it doesn't. And to me, if you're equating me, my lack of tolerance to mean I don't love, then we got to talk about what love means. I don't know. That's why people, you know, <laughs> it reminds me of the abusive relationship and, um, you know, women who just stay in that relationship or people who stay in those relationships uh despite the abuse and everything and what is what's on what's going on on the other person's mind the abuser's mind they're saying is this person really still staying with me um do they love me that much you know that they're going to stick around even though i'm beating them you know black and blue and they do they love me that much does that feed into your ego somehow I don't know. Nobody ever really asked the question. What's the what's the mindset of the abuser? No, they don't love you that much. They just don't love themselves enough to walk away. <laughs> oh, so are we saying are we saying that the Republican Party then just don't love themselves enough to walk away from Trump? Because I will he say is that. definitely abusing if, them. If Donald Trump becomes a Republican nominee, I will say y'all don't love each yourselves enough. <laughs> I'll say it. Because <laughs> I mean, again, you you can't function around Trump. There is no security there. There's no stability there. You don't know what the guy's gonna do. And so that's why I'm like, okay, what where is y'all's line? Because the core values of the Republican Party are out the window right now. If yeah. this person becomes a nominee. Well, one of our viewers says it's a hard pill. It is a hard pill. Nobody, nobody really wants to have the criticism. I, I'm a mind. I'm of the mindset. I'll take criticism any way that it comes. You, it doesn't matter. We're both similar. We're like conflict. Bring it. You know? yeah. It is like, because, but I get into these conversations with people. Well, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. It doesn't really. I mean, if you really were looking to get better, it wouldn't matter how you said it. You you take out. You eat the meat and spit out the bones. I understand that people are inartful. And their communication, most people are not very eloquent in their speech. And so they may not deliver it in the way that you wanted to hear it. And in fact, you're asking them to perform miracles to imagine what's the best way for me to deliver this bad information to you without you getting upset and without you feeling demeaned or diminished by the thing that I'm about to say that's really intended to help you. And so that's too complicated for people to have to try to figure out. So I, I don't want people to try to figure out how best can I say this to Mark? Say it to me the best way that you know how, if you're really in my tribe, say it to me the best way that you really know how to say it. And if it comes out inartful, if it comes out offensive, I'm going to try to get clarification about what you really mean by it before I make a judgment about it. <laughs> you know, if you, if, and, and even if you did mean it for harm, I'm still going to look at that thing and say, is there some truth in it? Is there truth in it? Because if you really are in my tribe, then that's what I need you to do. I need you to be able to tell me where I'm going off track because I don't want to be um, running off a cliff, not knowing that, you know, something fatal, some fatality lies ahead of me or tragedy lies ahead of me. I need you as part of my tribe to tell me that. I have a big problem recently with... Uh, with Republicans again, jeez. There's one big problem. <laughs> I, I hate to say, it. but but when I start thinking about being in the tribe, the the relationship between Christian uh, evangelicals and and the Jewish nation, and you know how they really take that. I think they take it too extreme. They they take it to say they read the Bible and they say the friend of you know the Jews. I'll be a friend of those who are friends of the Jews. That God says you know He's protecting the Jews at all costs. First of all, there can be it can be debated whether or not 
the Jews that we know in, in, in Israel now are the actual Jews that they, God was talking about in that Bible. There are people who are believing that these Ashkenazi Jews aren't necessarily that tribe that God was referring to. In fact, there are a lot of people who believe that it were Black people. And, and if that were the case, then they would no longer be. Uh, you, can huh? black, you can be black and a Jew, so yeah. So they, so they, if if that were the case, then you know the America and these evangelicals wouldn't have that same level of loyalty and tribalism toward the protection of that group of Jews. But right now, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we look at some of the behaviors of the Jewish nation, particularly like Netanyahu. And we overlook some of the things that we know that he's doing this wrong, but you say, but he, they're the Jews. And so we as Christians, we're supposed to be friends of the Jews because God said we're supposed to be friends of the Jews. The Bible tells us that, uh, uh, what did they say? Uh, um, a hard word, something to the extent of a hard word, a hard corrective word from a friend is better than a soft kiss from an enemy. And so what happens is that, you know, we should desire those types of, of, of correction and that type of rebuke, even on the national level, you know, as our allies, we should be able to still remain allies with a, with a country and still be able to criticize them. Uh, I know Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu, they have, their, their relationship has been a little, has been a little tense because, you know, Biden has been saying, hey, some of the things you're doing over here, I don't necessarily agree with. And then you got a whole bunch of conservatives that says, oh, the deal is off. The deal is off because right now he's making enemies with the Jews. No, he's not making enemies with them. He's holding them accountable to live up to the standard that is required of our uh, allied relationship. Well, and I'm going to hit on Republicans' favorite point. I mean, favorite person, Hunter Biden. <laughs> you know, you can look at Joe Biden and say, oh, you are supposed to make sure his son is indicted, convicted, and, and, and all that for whatever they feel like he did wrong, because I'm sure there's a litany. And to me, I feel like we expect Biden that at any point his son was trying to involve him or government in a business deal that he would walk away and be like, hey, you know, that's, that crosses the line. I can't move off. That's what we expect. We don't expect him to just because Hunter Biden, his son says, hey, dad, I need your help, that you just blindly give him help, even at the expense of the American people. And that's also what I'm saying. It, and it relates to even family members. There's got to be a line where you say, hey, I love you. I love you. And I will still love you. But I cannot support how you're moving. And so long as you continue moving this way, <laughs> you are distancing yourself further and further from me. And that's exactly what God says to us as, as, as Christians. He's like, hey, I love you. But if you're going to continue to sin, you're just going to distance yourself further and further away from me because I can't be involved in that. And that's what I'm challenging Republicans. At some point, you got to say, hey, do I want to associate myself with that? But the Bible tells us, you know, we should forgive a person of their sins 70 times 70. <laughs> and so, you know, there's still room. There's still room to forgive Donald Trump right now. And but Donald Trump got to acknowledge his sin. <laughs> Until that acknowledgement comes, you got to move away. <laughs> and, you know, most recently he got on his platform and said, hey, if you continue or go after me, I'm going to come for you. Essentially, inciting revenge and the prosecutors had to then ask the judge to issue a protective order. So then here goes Trump. Oh, I'm back. Hold on. You know, I wasn't trying to. <laughs> it's like, no, we, we're not going. And it, it, I'm sure the judge, because the judge is going to have to be stuck with this too. There is a loyalty to, or there is a respect or deference to people that have held positions like the president. But now the judge has got to put that aside to make sure the law does what the law does and hold this person accountable. And to me, even in that, you are showing your love for the American people. It's, it's so much bigger than, than one person. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel like you have a tribe? Do you need a tribe? Do we all <laughs> need a tribe? If you're describing a, tri a tribe as people who will follow me blindly, <laughs> then no, I do not have a tribe. <laughs> 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 I don't at all. I, I am on an island by myself. And even then, I don't even follow myself. <laughs> even then, I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you can you show me up out of here? 
<laughs> well, I don't I don't know that it's I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, right now tribalism is become uh has taken on a negative connotation, but tribalism should actually have much more of a favorable favorable perspective and and uh denotion. So all it is is just a, a division of societies and a community into families linked by common uh, culture or dialects or common goals or values or something like that. But, you know, I think when you become tribal, which is, you know, we've given a whole new definition of it now. Like I said, it's just got a, a nasty stain to the word tribalism now. But tribalism should actually be a good thing. We're supposed to be, I mean, as Christians, we're supposed to be tribal. We're supposed to have each other's back. We're supposed to be united in faith and not necessarily to the exclusion of other people. We should be inviting other people into, into that tribe. Um, I'm like thinking about the 12 tribes of Israel. They were divided. You know, all of Jake, all of uh, uh, Isaac's, was it Jacob's? Oh, Jesus. Children. Isaac's. Who was the 12 tribes came from? Oh my God, my brain, my Bible study is going gone. But uh, one of the two of them, I think it was uh, Jacob, no, yeah, it was Isaac. 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 Yeah, it was Isaac. So the uh, tribes of uh, Jacob or Isaac. <laughs> wow, I'm going to go back and study. But anyhow, the 12 of those sons. <laughs> were each divided into their individual tribes. And that's how those 12 tribes uh, became uh, separate tribes. But when they came into the land, the scripture specifically told them, the land of their inheritance is specific. The scripture specifically told them, don't go inherit your own land, your own portion of land. He divided up different lands for each tribe. He said, you can't go enjoy your land until you've helped the other tribes enjoy their land as well and, and access theirs as well. So I think even when we do are organized in tribes, it's not just us, is that we should always still have some uh, empathy and some uh, compassion for people who actually belong to another tribe. So 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 what, you Democrat? So what, you're Republican? I don't think that that means that I need to hate you. It still means that I need to be able to extend love and some assistance to you where that love and assistance is needed and not necessarily villainize you because you're of a different tribe than I am. Well, I still, again, like the concept that we are all of the American tribe. So if at any point... <laughs> We, so I don't care if it's a political party, I don't care if it's a person in leadership or whatever, is no longer united for of, of, of the same interests. Then, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not saying you cast a person aside and then you never speak of them again, but you hold them accountable. And if they, at that point, continue to choose to walk down that path, then you have to distance yourself. And so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to say that because, you know, I, one of the things you said that I, again, want to make sure is keyed in on is the unity in faith. We're not going to unite in sin. We're not going to unite in criminal activity. We're going to stay united in faith. And and but yeah. that's you got to have that foundation. There needs to be something that says, "Hey, because we are human, we are going to do stuff that is completely irrational, illogical." And you do need to understand that because of that, we need that grace. So I'm not disputing any of that, but I am saying though at the same time, if you don't hold that person accountable, you're going to find yourself go on the same path as that person. And so, you know, I can't forgive you until you acknowledge that, hey, I'm going down the wrong path. I need help getting back on track. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're united. And what they believe is a, is a great cause, is a, is a very you laudable know, what cause. What is the great cause that they believe in? Because again, I feel like, just like when, when, when Trump himself said, I could shoot someone right now and you guys are still going to vote for me. I've been like, well, then what is the cause? <laughs> the, the cause is the cause is preserving the nation, is stopping the immigrants from coming in. The cause is stopping people from indoctrinating our children into into lascivious lifestyles and uh, stop 
stop spending the government's money, stop spending taxpayers' money on social programs and things like that. Even These are the common causes. Said, causes to stop killing babies and, and, and to find ways to do said, it. Trump has violated every single one of them. <laughs> so <that's laughs> again, I'm like, what is the cause? <laughs> you know, they say that Trump is repent. They say that Trump is repentant. You know, and whatever. That's but that's my point. He has not acknowledged any of his wrongdoings. <laughs> I mean, even when you ask him, "Hey, did you really mean it when you said grab the girl by the private part?" <laughs> he doesn't even acknowledge, man, that was wrong. <laughs> I am sorry. Even yeah. as he got indicted on sexual assault, he never says. Nah, that was wrong. In fact, he goes in the town hall and continues to spew <laughs> that the lady was lying. So that's why I'm like, nah, again, what's the cause? Because I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> I think they're they're creating a monster. I think they're <laughs> and, and and what happens is is that I do believe that some of it is good intent. Some of it is ignorance, and some of it is monolithism. Um, because all they do is listen to one perspective, one side of the story. And that happens on both sides. You know, there are people who will only listen to one side of the story. And even if they listen to the other side, they don't listen to the story with the intent to understand. They listen to the story with the intent to criticize, to refute, to rebuff it in some way, shape or another. Um, the reality is, is that both sides have, I think, some very legitimate concerns. And those things, those concerns are motivated by, I think, genuine passions, genuine and even admirable passions. But when those admirable passions are exploited such that they say, you know, everybody on the other side is against the things that you're for. And as if they get in control, then all the things that you're for will be annihilated. And that to me is a, is an incredible recruitment tactic for tribalism gone awry. <laughs> well, are you saying, because I know we're going to have to end, are you saying there's no hope? Because again, I, I want to, I want to give Republicans an instructional tool. Please do not go into this next election. Cause I feel like to some degree people have are done with 2023. I feel like there's been a, I'm over this year. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to work anymore. But I don't want us to go into an election year with the defeated, defeated hope that you know there is nothing that can be said to the Republican Party to get them to reconsider putting this person as their nominee. I wouldn't say you're asking me if there's no hope. Uh, wow. Yeah, and if there is. I mean, no, you were. <laughs> I'm saying let's give the Republicans some tools to think about. Just, hey, just think before you cast that vote. Think about this. Like, is there anything we can say? <laughs> There's, uh, I'm just reminded of scripture says, if my people who are called by my name should humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I'll heal their land. And there's a, some pre prerequisites from that. First, we have to be his people. And uh, there are a couple of us who are in this country who are still his people and then humble ourselves. And I don't, that's the tough one right there. Uh, but turn from the wicked ways. If you don't even identify those as wicked ways, how can you turn from them and seek in the face of God? Now, that being said, there is hope um, only offered, I think, through our relationship and submission to the sovereignty of God. But the reality of it is we're not going to do that as a people. We're not even those who profess to be Christians aren't going to do that. And so this thing is going down. I hate to be a pessimist or a Debbie Downer, yeah, but that's, what you're doing. <laughs> that's exactly. But that's you asked the question. So, you know, the re believe I have hope, but my expectation is something different from my hope and my expectation and my what I foresee happening is our tribalism getting even worse and more divisive and um and, and in fact you know jesus said hey did you you think that i came to unite the world to bring peace to people he said i came to set father against son mother against daughter and that's what the that's what uh true submission to the authority and the kingdom of god produces it produces it, it identifies you as someone who's going to be separate from other people and 
when we realize that we stop trying to unite everybody and we just understand that this is the natural progression of the way that this world is going to go and it's going to sometimes be to our disfavor as Christians. Well, I will I will ask the evangelicals, I guess, that are diehard Republican party devotions that if you can hear that scripture and look at Donald Trump and say that he has done every <laughs> single one of those things, then by all means, cast your ballot. <laughs> but if you can't say that, I'm just begging you, begging you, please reconsider. <laughs> please reconsider. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're also interested in, in learning some of um, how, what we talk about in relationships or what we talk about as it relates to even our faith, please make sure you check out some of those older episodes. Um, they're on YouTube. They're also, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. They're right here on Facebook. And you can also tune in to a repeat of this episode on Star Radio. So until next Saturday, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you then. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable console. Tune in live and join the conversation.